that's all we really are is a series of relationships. Yeah. Life's most important aspects all happen in those relationships. And so how do we see them? The only way is if we... Welcome to the School of Greatness. My name is Lewis Howes, a former pro athlete turned lifestyle entrepreneur. And each week we bring you an inspiring person or message to help you discover how to unlock your inner greatness. Thanks for spending some time with me today. Now let the class begin. Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. It offers flexible spending capacity that adapts to your business. You can also earn up to $395 in annual statement credits on eligible purchases at select business merchants. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. If a friend asks how you're doing and you say, I'm okay. When the truth is, I don't want my problems to burden anyone. Or you say, hang it in there. Because if I ask for help, they'll just think I'm weak. Then this is your sign to call, text, or chat. 988 for free confidential support. Anytime. You don't have to hide how you feel. At Capella University, you'll get support from people who care about your success. From before you enroll to after you graduate, pursue your goals knowing help is available when you need it. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. Do you remember your first coach that gave you a lesson that helped you develop the mindset that you still have today? And what was that lesson? Well, it, it, it's my father. Mm -hmm. And he was always, his nickname is Grit. Yes. And he means it. Like, it's like he's a, in fact, uh, the famous book Grit was written not too long yeah. ago. He was in there. Really? She, uh, Angela read, I read yeah. about him and said, Angela Duckworth, interviewed right? him and, and uh, and so there's a chapter on grit young, you know. Wow, that's cool. And so he, but he means it in a, a really balanced way because a lot of times, uh, someone has a, someone has a, a dream or and that becomes myopic and that's all your life is and then that, that what, there's no athleticism in it. Right. And I think one of the greatest qualities that I love in people is someone who's superior talent but is not afraid to, it doesn't just make that a, I just play one note on the piano. Mm -hmm. Like I can do more than, and so my dad was gritty as I look back, you know, and he was tough and he was strong-minded, but he was also in a way, and I'll say loving, I don't think he would call it love, but he would, but so he would always say, uh, find what you love to do, but then you can't quit. Mm. So to him, you don't, I'm not for, you don't have to do it. I'm not telling you what to do, but once you choose something. Mm -hmm. And so as a young kid, I remember we were in baseball and uh, we, it was a baseball, basketball, football town. That's like where I, you know, the mean streets of Greenwich, Connecticut. People laugh about that, but, <laughs> but, uh, but that's what my friends did. We played those sports. Yeah. And so I was in Little League, I don't remember what it was, and the practices were too long and it was something frustrating. And I'm like, Dad, I don't want to do it anymore. And that's when he's like, oh, no. No, no, no. You forgot what I told you. You can choose what you want to do. But you chose it. Now you're in. Mm. And you finish it. Right. And so as a young kid, 
that was like religion. That was mm -hmm. just, that's how it worked. And so when I wanted to quit college football my freshman year, because they were eighth string, no one cared about me. And I was doing the scout team for the defense and they were abusing me and no one, the coaches didn't know my name, you know? And I remember, and I was going to, I could have gone to North Carolina and started. Why really? didn't I do that? Let me go. And I told him I wanted to quit and come home. And he said the same thing again. Really? He's like, look, you can quit, but you can't come home because I'm not, I'm not living with you. Wow. You do that. And I, and he was serious. Like, in other words, I didn't have another place to go. So I stayed. If he would have said, you're right, they're screwing with you. They're come not home. respecting you. Let's come home. We'll figure it out. I would have gone home. And what would have happened? Not what happened. <laughs> you wouldn't be here. Not yet. what happened. Wow. And so I think in many ways, um, but I appreciate, because a lot of parents want to tell you what to do. They have the dream for you. It's their, it's their dream. It's not your dream. And that's why I always say, uh, be very careful as a parent that my oldest is a music theater major. Didn't really like sports. I wanted him to enjoy, I, I did want him to experience sports because there's, there's a so sociality, lessons. there's yeah, some yeah. lessons to it. So, and so we did that, but he clearly wanted to do, we wanted to go perform. Yeah. And, and now that he's performing on, on stage, we have so much in common. Mm-hmm. You know, that I didn't really think about me as a performer. And so, so much of the anxieties of performance. And so we are, went full circle. Like it seemed like he was going as far away from me as possible. And now we're back kind of doing the same business in the same right, way, show right. business in a way. So I always looked at myself as an artist on the field, yeah, improvising and expressing yeah. myself. Yeah. You know, you have set plays. But it's like, it never goes exactly the way you well, want it I to go, right? I took that to its farthest leg because <laughs> I had the legs to do it. Yeah. And that's why I'm so grateful. I was with Peyton Manning yesterday. And so Peyton and I played the same position for a long time, 18 years. And I think he played 19. Uh-huh. And, but we did it completely different because our talent level, I mean, he couldn't move as much as I could. And so he, he honed with his talent and I just honored Peyton Manning, like amazing what he did on the field. I don't know how you would ever play quarterback in the NFL with what you have to go through and say to yourself, I'm, I'm going to do it from one spot. Mm, it's crazy. I'd be like, no, especially today. No, 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 yeah. no, no, no. I'm not <laughs> doing that job. So in the fact that we did the same job, but did it so differently, um, there's an mm -hmm. honor. Uh, and I just, I'm so grateful for the ability to have expressed it more, you know, physically yes. like out, out in its outer reaches. It was yeah. fun for me. But I mean, going in as eighth string, how did you stay true to yourself? Obviously, your dad didn't give you a backup plan from there, but how did you overcome one person at a time until so was, you became funny. a starter? So, and I think this was, you know, come back from my dad, but, well, you know, there's <laughs> a funny story. My mom, when I was really little playing eight-year-old eight football, I got tackled, got the wind knocked out mm -hmm. of me. And I'm laying on the ground. I can't breathe. I thought I was going to die. My dad came running out. You know, you lay in your back and you pull your pants up and let you breathe. And you're like, oh, I feel better. I feel better. My mom starts out and she almost steps on me as she heads for the kid who tackled me. Don't you. Grabs him by shoulder. Oh, my gosh. Don't you ever hit my son. That was late. That was illegal. You know, and I'm like. In the middle of a game? Yeah. Mom. Oh, my. Get out. What are you doing? Like, get out. Ah. So maybe it's my mom. I don't know where this comes from. But I, when I started the eighth string, to your point. I was running scout team for the defense. Uh -huh. And so I was, for BYU, I was playing Wyoming, I was playing University of Utah, I was playing San Diego State. And so every week I would You're be- You're running their place. I would run the place for yeah. the other team. And it was the wishbone or whatever else. And I said, you know what? I'm gonna be the greatest 
Wyoming. I'm going to be, when they play Wyoming and the defense comes back from the game, I want them to say, you know what? That kid that was doing scout team was better than the Wyoming quarterback. Wow, that's cool. That was in my mind. So, and that's how I attacked it. Because there was something to be done. Even though no one cared, no one was paying attention, no one knew my name. In my mind, that was how I was going to make a difference. Mm -hmm. And that's how I approached it. So in that, I ran the wishbone so well that there was a JV team, BYU has a friend, then a JV team that would go play UNLV, Air Force. JV teams. JV, so the freshmen. So I was on that team. I was third string freshman. Wow. And so we would go play, and they said, well, he does, he play, He runs the wishbone so well. Let's just run the wishbone that we practiced last week against Wyoming when we go to the game. And I thought, you know, in some ways, the most disrespectful thing you can tell me is that, you know, my goal of making them think that I was a great one is now I'm not even running. <laughs> I'm not even getting ready to play my own team. So it kind of backfired. But um, I think that, that that mentality was mm-hmm. when you asked me how I went from eighth Yes. And moved up was finding purpose when it's easy to say there wasn't purpose. Mm -hmm. Find a way to make a difference when uh, it doesn't look like there's much place to do it. Right. My goal, Kyle Whittingham was the long-term coach of the University of Utah for the last 20 years. He was the middle linebacker, the leader of the defense when I joined. And so I'm running the scout team and I wanted to make, I wanted to frustrate Kyle Whittingham. I remember running to the sidelines one time running, running and running out of bounds and him because you don't they hit the they, they hit us but that wasn't like it was full speed sure he hit me as hard as he could and <laughs> put me out of bounds and then into the fence you know and then he came over the top and says quit embarrassing me wow and i was like yes <laughs> i'm doing my job I yeah, yeah. <laughs> i won <laughs> i remember that so vividly now you talked about, I've heard you talk about, you know, having a lot of anxiety and nerves. I think you threw up a lot before almost every game. Every or game. Every game, every college, game and pro or more just well, so college? I don't know how we don't want to get too far into this, sure. but I, uh, I didn't know as a kid, um, during the day, uh, three sport, uh, all state, mm-hmm. uh, uh, straight A's, never missed school. I wow. mean, if you saw my life, you'd be like, that guy, he's got it going on. But when the sun went down, I was at home. And I didn't realize why, but if people said, hey, we're going for a week, ski week, or we're going to, you know, scout camp. And we're like, oh, no, I got practice. Oh, no, no. Because I had an innate fear of that not being home. During the day, it's fine. But, like, if my parents left for a vacation, which they tried once, I convinced all my brothers and sisters, and I was the oldest, that the people babysitting us were axe murderers. And we got, really? got them so upset that their parents had to turn around. So I had this pretty severe, what we'd call separation anxiety. You've seen kids that are afraid to go to people's houses, afraid to go to school, afraid to, that's me. Where do you think that came from? It's genetic. Really? So my mom's side of the family. Wow. And we found out when I was 30 years old, through another traumatic event with the NFL, that it finally got named. I didn't know. I grew up, uh, when I went to college, it was death-defying. I didn't unpack my bags. Oh, but I knew knew you're supposed to go. Yeah, Yeah, yeah. You're supposed to go to college, and you're supposed to love it. And I was like, oh, inside my stomach was, you know, the anxiety, whatever, that's what it was, but it just, to me, felt like a stomach ache. Mm -hmm. Like, this is not, I don't want to do this. But I knew I I can't sit at home. Right. And so I did that. My, I remember that first semester, that's why I was begging my dad to let me come home, too, because I just, like, get me back. You're homesick. Yeah, I'm homesick, and I just want to get back. 
So I remember going back for Christmas, finally getting a chance to go back home. I remember walking in the door, and when I walked in, I realized, oh, I have two homes now because I want to go back to college. You did want to go back. So that was where the first oh, cool. step for me was like, you mean I don't, I don't have to have this all the time. I can actually develop a second home. Mm. And then that home was, became a great home, and then I had to go pro, which I know I, I told myself, don't do it. You've, you've, you know, don't go pro. Pain and anguish for what you've been through to play college football. And oh, here I'm all American. I finished second in the Heisman Trophy, but the, the emotional strain on doing that and the it wasn't pl- playing was the best. It was the three days before, especially the day before, because genetic separation anxiety in performance shows up as. And everyone always says, "Well, of course you're nervous. You know, that's normal. You know, like yeah, but I don't know if this is." what that is. And so that was my, that was my life um, and defined so much of my career. People, you know, if you said to me today, Steve, if you could leave that genetic part of you that's in your mom's side of the family that you were born with, now that you're 60 years old, would you, would you do that? And I thought that about that recently. I said, no, I wouldn't. Despite what? all the anguish and pain yeah. of it and the, it defined, because there's good sides to it. There's well, hypervigilance. What was the there's, for? Well, I, you want to think I was ready to play? You want to think <laughs> that I was prepared? I, yeah. And so, in that way, that defined, you know, people say, well, you're in the Pro Football Hall of Fame. How come? If you had to say why, well, this is one of the main reasons why. So, if that's the why, then like anything, and that's why it would have been nice when I talk about mental health, and I'm so open about it because, like, everyone has insecurities, everyone has reasons to be asking questions. About mental health, I say to if you're in the woods, lost in the middle of the woods, had no idea where to go, and a park ranger came by, would you ask for directions? Yeah, yeah. I'd say, hey, pick me so, up. So, but we me. have this shaming that goes on around insecurities and mental health, and mm-hmm. and and everybody's going through it to actually be vulnerable, like you did, yeah. and say, well, what what are my insecurities? What how can I be better? And then what are are there genetic or clinical things that I can mm-hmm. find help with? Like, so if I could have defined that as a kid at eight years old, that would have been better, you know? <sighs> That's crazy, yeah. I mean, how, on, your, on a scale of one to 10, let's call it the peace scale, the inner peace scale, 10 being you had ultimate inner peace, you were calm or relaxed, one being zero peace. In college, where were you on that scale, one to 10, on, well, on average? it's, it's, it's um, it's episodic, mm-hmm. right? Because when when I wasn't now walking around the day before the game, when I would see everyone as these lucky guys that don't need to go face this music, you know, mm-hmm. like, look, you don't even have to worry about anything. Already... But if it was during the time during the week when it just wasn't as heightened, it was fine. wonderful. Yeah. yeah. And so, and people are like, you're Steve, you're great, you I saw the game, and you know, so you get all that too. So, uh-huh. um, it was just a... There's a lot of pressure before my, the game. My teammates, you know, they got used to it. Like, hey, Steve's thrown up yet? Because if he's thrown up, then we're good. Really? Yeah. And if he hasn't, then we have... Tell him to go throw, go up. throw up. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> got to get this over with. And that translate into pro career also? Where you were... So, you... Like, the human, the human condition, you do get better at... Like, yeah. I got better at, at separation anxiety. Yeah. I got... You had tools, you learned to manage nah, it. I don't know about tools. <laughs> I just had, like, you have to. You can't live nah. that way. 
So did it get easier? No. Um, I retired 18 years later, and the day I retired, I was like, I remember one of my last games I ever played was a Monday night game, and I was engaged to my wife Barb, and she was, and I was walking around the stadium early, because you know it's Monday night, and you know, and I was hyper vigilant, I'll call it, not anxiety ridden, but hyper vigilant, and I wanted someone to talk to, and she's like, I, I need to go. And I'm like, can I just talk a little bit longer? This is 18 years later. So you'd already won three Super Bowls. Yes, you're already of course. like a guy. It's like it's yeah. already, yeah. So it doesn't, um, who huh. you are is kind of how you do it. And, wow. uh, um, you know, that's, uh, my, my, when, I, when I finally realized when I was 30 years old, uh, through a, tough circumstances, uh, I had, had not slept for a couple, I always slept, which is great. That's good. That, that's how you do it. Right? Yeah, yeah. So I, and one week, I was in a bad spot. We lost some games. I was in a bad place, trying, trying to replace Joe Montana, all the expectations, you know, just over the last months it had kind of, I got myself in a pretty hole of victimization. Uh-huh. Like everything was everyone else's fault. I'm being victimized. It's terrible. This is horrible. And and uh, and then all of a sudden I wasn't sleeping. Mm. And it was a big game again, the Falcons, I think, that week at home. And so two nights I didn't sleep. And the people that I was living with nearby, a family that I was really dear with, said, look, Steve, we know you, and we know that we see you go, what you go through to go play, and we get used to it, that's fine, but this is not right. This is not cool. And so we're not going to, we, we can't abide this any longer. Really? So what are you going to do about it? And I said, look, if we win, because then you can have something wrong, I'll go to the team doctor and I'll talk about what's going on, because I don't know what the heck it is. And, but if we lose, I, I, I can't do that. I ended up playing well, winning, fulfilled my promise. And they have to face it, yeah. Face the, and so the team doctors, Jim Clint, been around forever, came in with Joe Montana and Ronnie Lott and Bill Walsh, and he was, I was an honored guy. Like, he was a guy I didn't want to necessarily go talk about, like some weakness that I had or something that I thought was, you know, here's the park ranger, do I ask the question, right? And so I promised myself I would. I promised his family I would. So I get back in the corner of Candlestick Park and the training room underneath when crap's dripping on you and towel and ice bag. And wow. I go, uh, I go, name was Reggie. And Reggie, I, I got to talk to you. So I go in the corner and I look. And I start to recount the week and what's going on. And I notice that all of a sudden a big ball of tear comes into his eye and drops to the ground. And then another. The doctor's the, eye. The doctor. And I'm like, Reggie, are you crying? And he essentially breaks down and tells me that he barely got through medical school fighting a different kind of anxiety that was like plagued so much of his life and that he was crying because how upset he was as the team doctor because he sensed in watching me, he's like, I should have, I felt it and I didn't do anything Mm -hmm. about it. I've watched you for years now. And I never talked to you about it. And I'm so I'm so sorry. Oh man! And so his pain. So think about me. I'm nervous about asking this question because I don't know what the heck's going on. I'm like at my wits' end. And finally, I ask it to him, and he comes back to me weeping. I'm like, Wow! Oh my gosh! So that starts that whole that. How I didn't that mean make, to get belabored on that. No. But, how did that make you feel when he brought that vulnerability? So he immediately told me, Steve, you have undiagnosed childhood separation anxiety. It's very typical. A lot of kids have it. And you need to know that that's what, that's what it is. And now you're performing, and so it's got its tentacles in, in performance. Mm-hmm. But that, you know, 
and, uh, wow. and ends up being a pretty severe case of it. And that's that. And so once it was defined, that was what I needed. I needed to know clarity. What, what is this? What is it? Because I look back, I'm like, oh, that's why when I went to my aunt's house and freaked out for the whole weekend, you know, that I thought he was an axe murderer too. Because sure, sure. that's how my body responds to the. <laughs> when did when did you feel like you were able to start healing? The journey of healing. Well, the healing is. Uh, I, I think that more than anything, it wasn't necessarily that I felt like uh, it's that it was who I. In other words, it, it, there's nothing. I the, I have this genetic part of me, mm-hmm. like it's, and I think that what I could do is use the good parts, yes, as a much more profound thing, and then you see the parts that are more difficult and figure out ways to the tools mm-hmm. to get through them better. But not healing wouldn't how I would describe it. Okay. You know, I think that through time. When I retired, my life was zen. Really? After oh, you retired, you were like, there was no nothing, more pressure. <laughs> I mean, getting married, zen. <laughs> Having kids, zen. It was all like, easy. There was, oh, 80,000 people aren't watching? Right. You know, there's not a, a national audience every week. Like, it was like, it just disappeared. <laughs> it was so, not, so you didn't have any anxiety after that? Not, not really, no. Because I, I think it just, over time, it finds its... Um, you know, it kind of beats getting beaten out of you uh-huh. a little bit. So. Well, you talk about the law of love is, is loving as God loves, seeking another's healing and expecting nothing in return. Mm-hmm. And when I read that and I heard that story about the doctor, it felt like he was able to, he was kind of sad, but also there was some healing in him to be able to see it in you and have you open up about it and allow vulnerability, the space in between the unknown to come together and allow for love and healing to start to occur. So, Lewis, you're 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 now getting a theme for me uh-huh. for relationships. Yes, that's all we really are is a series of relationships. Yeah, and then in those relationships, you and I have a relationship. We've yeah. known, we've been around each other half an hour. Mm-hmm. We're in a relationship. If you've never heard of sitting disease, you may want to sit down for this or rather stand up because in the U.S., millions of people spend their entire day seated at a desk and studies have shown that prolonged sitting is associated with an increased risk for obesity, diabetes, and other chronic illnesses. And protecting your health can be as simple as pushing a button on an E7 Pro Plus standing desk from FlexiSpot. The E7 from FlexiSpot is made to meet your individual needs, adjusting to your height, whether seated or standing. Alternating between sitting and standing works to relieve stiffness and pain, and it's a game changer for myself. Plus, it's sturdy and expertly crafted from automotive-grade carbon steel, able to support up to 355 pounds without wobble when adjusting heights. FlexiSpot even offers an industry-leading 15-year warranty on the E7. FlexiSpot has the electronic desk game down to a science. And what I like most about the E7 standing desk is the minimalistic design. And I have the bamboo top with white legs and it looks super clean. My desk sits in the center of my office and the various attachments from FlexiSpot provide the perfect cable management. It's super nice and it looks very clean. Do yourself a favor and get rid of that old particle board desk and get yourself the E7 from FlexiSpot. Right now, FlexiSpot is offering a huge $80 off their E7 Pro Plus standing desk 
with code GREATNESS. So go to FlexiSpot.com today and use code GREATNESS to get $80 off their E7 Pro Plus standing desk. That's F-L-E-X-I-S-P-O-T.com. Use code GREATNESS for $80 off. Go to FlexiSpot.com today. One of my favorite parts about my job is that I get the opportunity to travel a lot. And in fact, I'm recording this right now while I'm in Mexico. And actually, I was thinking about something that I wanted to share because I get a lot of questions from so many people about different side hustle ideas. So here's one for those of you out there that are on the go a lot like I am or traveling a lot. When you're staying in your Airbnb on your trips, have you ever thought about how you could be making extra money by hosting through Airbnb while your home is vacant? If you're interested in an extra stream of income, Airbnb hosting is an easy place to start and it's like giving your home some company while you're away your home might be worth more than you think find out how much at airbnb.com slash host so listen we all know life is full of yada yada like those quote unquote free trials that somehow still charge your card for something or when companies have those sneaky gotchas hiding deep in the fine print and i know you've dealt with yada yada before like those bills that keep going up and up for no reason at all or when budget airlines promise a cheap fare but then charge you for every little thing until you realize you're paying more than you would have somewhere else and yes it is possible to outsmart yada yada like triple checking airline deals to make sure all you need is already included but you don't take yada yada in life so don't take yada yada from your wireless provider metro by t-mobile has no contracts no credit checks no surprises and nada yada yada stop by one of over six thousand metro stores nationwide When you get a new car or a new home, your first reaction might be to say things like, oh yeah, or I can't believe it, or booyah. But what you really want to say is the one thing that can get you the help you need. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm is there with the coverage you need for your car, your home, and even boats, motorcycles, RVs, and other things that matter to you. With a State Farm agent, you know someone is there to help you choose the coverage you need. With so many coverage options, it feels good knowing you can find what fits for you. And when you need ways to get help, State Farm gives you options there too. Too. in person or on the phone with your local agent or on statefarm.com where their award-winning app State Farm lets you do things your way. So when you need help protecting the things that matter most, remember to say, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Someone I just got an Uber ride over. We were in a brief relationship. He was in the car with me. You know, what? what I'm married. I've got a long, lifelong mm -hmm. relationship. I've got, you know, I mean, I've got all kinds of relationships. But everything is in the end. And that's in that, in that space is where purpose and legacy and, mm. and, and growth and, and life's most important aspects all happen in those relationships. And so how do we see them? And I, was t I, I have to tell you a quick story about Bill Walsh. So he's my head coach in the uh, 49ers when I joined in 1987. He was the king. Two Super Bowls. Everyone knew he was three generations ahead of everybody. His offense, the West Coast offense, you're very uh -huh. familiar with. Uh -huh. how, we, how we saw players as partners. He didn't see him as chattel or someone to pound with a big stick. He saw them as not almost as equals. Like how do I how do I think about your food, how you eat, how you sleep, how your mental health? Back he, in the eighties, in the eighties, wow. He was asking these questions, and he and he and he. Uh, um, I remember the first meeting. He said how he's going to integrate the team, and we thought about racially because that's where we black guys and white guys were all going to come together in the locker room. We're going to. He says it's even more than that. It's all the things that separate us. Where you went to school, just geography, socioeconomic background, 
uh, language you speak, religion, uh, everything that kind of generally culturally separates people. We want to break them all down because we're going to be in Lambeau Field. Wow. We're going to be down by four points. It's going to be the last couple minutes of the game. It's going to be raining at 30 degrees. You've never been colder because it's windy. There's 80,000 people that are screaming at you, and I want you to get in a huddle, and I want to look at each other, and I want you to share an element of love for each other. Wow. And that's the speech. The first speech he ever made that I was a part of in 1987 was that speech. Holy cow. And so I was like, I don't know what that is, but I'm in for that. <laughs> right? And so he then, and I noticed in the corner as he was making that speech, a guy with a, a camera filming the whole thing. Then filmed him going out on the field and going into the locker room and going, and I chuckled a little bit. Like, what is he? I know he's famous. I know he's like ahead of the game and everything, but is he in a museum? Has he got something going? What he was doing was creating a video-based, audio-based, mm -hmm. paper-based collection of everything that he was. Everything that I am as a coach, everything that I know, everything that I'm now three generations ahead of in the NFL and everyone knows it, I'm gonna put it in a, I want it in a box. Wow. Why do I want it in a box? Because I have minority coaches who I wanna see thrive in the NFL. Mm -hmm. And I wanna hand it to them as they go out the door. It's incredible. To get head coaching jobs. It's incredible. And the last thing he says, I'll see you in the championship game. Because he knows with this box, they have the tools, tools to get there. And that's what happened. He was vlogging in the 80s. Mike Holmgren came right. back as the assistant coach, goes to the Packers, and we came back and saw him in the championship game. And I remember seeing Brett Favre after the game. They beat us. And I go, Brett, what was the, what, what did Mike tell you the big speech in the, in the hotel last night? He told me the speech. He's like, he went to build a little toolkit, bought out the big game that speech. file, and gave the speech. Crazy. So I guess the point is, Bill Walsh, why would someone who's three generations ahead, think of technology, think of business, mm. think of sports, think of anybody who has some proprietary knowledge that they know is a huge advantage, some talent that they have, some anything, and I'm going to box it up somehow and hand it out. For free. For free to elevate you. Mm. When you talk about the law of love, selfless, selfless acts are hard. I've been trying to teach myself. Mm. This book has probably helped me more than anything. How do I get into a space where I have no transaction? Yes. Because even in the best, so much of the good in the world is still slightly transactional. Mm -hmm. I actually get a wonderful feeling because I helped this person. Yes. What if it can be completely non-transactional? So you lose yourself. Mm. In that way, Bill might have been thinking about legacy, he might have been thinking about abundance, but I have a feeling he was completely isolated on this coach and their success. And when you can get to that place, what happens is life stops being zero-sum game. We are in a entropic world where we're all going to die. Everything's corroding. Everything we see is headed south eventually. Very transactional world. Eat what you kill. Zero-sum game. You get what you get. I get what I get. Mm -hmm. Shake hands. Move on. Right. Is there a place of abundance? Is there a space? And people say, well, yeah, uh, if you give in. But what if there was just a spirit of abundance? And you sought it. You've, you've, you, that's I'm going to look for it. Can you find it in 
I'll leave you a quick, uh, another quick story. I, remind me of Bill Walsh because I want to yes. finish it. But Reggie White. Reggie White was the, you know Reggie White. Uh-huh. Reggie White was the greatest defensive player. Uh-huh. I would make the argument the greatest defensive player ever played in the NFL, yeah. ever. You say uh, Lawrence Taylor, you could say, but he was massive. Yeah. His football card said, I want to say it's six six three ten. Anyone three, who writes down, well, yeah. you, 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 you know this, but when you're a rookie, the, the trading card company gives you a piece of paper. You fill it out. Uh-huh. So you look at my cards. You're two inches six, taller. 6'2", six, two, 205. <laughs> yeah. Every card in existence will say, Steve Young, BYU, 6'2", 205. Because I wrote that down, oh, sure. and I wasn't lying. That's what I believed. Oh, wow. It was aspirational. You, you, but- it was aspirational. <laughs> but it's what I believe. Reggie writes 6'6", six, six, 310. If you write 310... You're 400. Right. There's no way you rate 310 and literally right, mean right, that. Right. But he was the most athletic, biggest, strongest guy you've ever seen. LeBron James, if you've ever been around him, 6'8", uh-huh. 280. Beast. You just, you, you just kind of, cow, not cower, but you just kind of slink back. As like as a real you, athlete. It's like yeah. you just cannot know how fast and how strong. And that's Reggie White. Reggie was 380, 400 pounds, but ran like he was 210. Wow. So when you played him and he was loud. You know, rah, like he yelled, he would scream and have the guttural stuff, and you could hear him coming, drop back to pass. Rah, you could hear it coming closer and closer and closer. Then, classic Reggie, he's going to get there. Grab me every time he ever sacked me. What, 20 times in his really? career? Oh, man. I don't know. That's painful. Play the Packers, play the Eagles. Like a, That's painful. He'd get me, turn me on, and let him, you know, and he'd fall on his back, and I'd fall on top of him. Oh, wow. So here's the most intense, adrenaline-filled. You've been on the football field, uh-huh. 80,000 people, millions watching TV, the biggest game, championship game. There's a place of intensity there that's hard to describe. He's the most intense of the guys there. Coming to get, do his job, competitive as every. Talk about transaction, like, uh-huh. this is my transaction world, and I'm you're going down because that's my job. Yeah. Grabs me, and in that flash of an instant, turns, lets me fall on top of him. He's got me around, and he goes, Steve, how you doing, buddy? Really? Because we were friends from when we were rookies. No way. And we had, we went to the Hula Bowl together. He was Tennessee, I was BYU. We'd wow. be fast friends. He's the minister. He was an evangelical minister. I loved chatting with him about religion, about life, about everything. And my and I, my dad was a lawyer, Grit, mm-hmm. and it helped me get an agent. And he goes, well, can your dad help me? Wow. So my dad helped him. So he'd have me in his thing. He's like, how's your dad? No way. Yeah, how's everything going? And I'm like, well, right now, Reggie... Not so good. <laughs> I'm getting sacked right now. But my point the relationship the same point I want to describe to everybody. In the athleticism of who Reggie White was, he could be the ultimate competitor mm. and in a flash be the ultimate friend. Wow. Can we because most of the guys I played against who were friends couldn't make that transition. They were like, I need to destroy you. They couldn't they, after the game, then I can't. Hey talk buddy, about yeah, how you yeah, doing? Yeah. But in the moment, mm. can you can you be Two or three things. Can you can you have can you hold in in suspense the pieces of you? And that's why I say go back to Bill Walsh. Like I the the legacy of that abundant act mm-hmm. is throughout the NFL today. Yes. Kyle Shanahan, Sean McVay here in town. You go up and down every team, the Chargers, the Rams, the 49ers, the Seahawks with Pete Carroll. I mean, that's just the West Coast. You just go throughout the league. I could read off probably 30 of 32 teams that have coaches who were directly influenced by this toolkit Mm. and by the people who took it. What were the three biggest lessons he taught you? 
One is a spirit of abundance. Mm -hmm. I didn't know it at the time. Yeah. I didn't know what to call it. As I've, as I've gotten older, I see it. I see its power, the legacy power of why if, if, if we act, even in, in, in some kind of righteousness transactionally, it will rot like the rest of this world sooner or later in self-interest. Mm -hmm. If you can find a spirit of abundance where you can have a transaction, there's a lot of tr business transactions, a lot of transactions, but in that, tra in that relationship, there's a spirit of abundance. Yes. Like, how do I speak? If I'm going to speak in abundant language, what would I say? What would I, if I'm going to be a long-suffering, gentle persuasion, loving, love unfeigned kind of person, and I'm going to act that way, what would, what would my language be like? Even in intense, highly competitive, mm -hmm. transactional world. Because that's not going away. Right. You can't, like, I can't be a monk and just go and disappear for 10 years. I'm in the mix. Mm-hmm. And I like being in the mix. Yes. That's where I want to be. But can I speak abundantly in all of those places? On the field, in the most intense, crazy spots. That's why I bring up the Reggie White story. Yeah. Where there's a win-win-win. How can everyone, with thousands of books written about it, yes. in the end, I think it's an intent. And it has to be a... Yes. It has. To, some people do it, I think, very uh, naturally. It's in them. It's just who they are. They're naturally love, love kind of people. Mm -hmm. But those of us that are super transactional, want to win, want to do great, want to show how, like, I, I want credit. What human right. being doesn't want credit? Right. To be acknowledged, to be seen, to be valued. Right. Yes. That's human, be that's human nature is to want that. That's why what we're describing here, ab abundant thinking is not of this world. Because this world's, a transactional world. Mm -hmm. This is a dog-eat-dog -dog world. This is a kind of scientific science is proven it by the second law of thermodynamics. It's this is where we're headed, and uh, and I just but that's not where you that's not where you create uh, the, the, you create the abundance in elevating mm -hmm. a beyond and above what is natural seeking of mm -hmm. human desires. Yeah, it's a different field. It's a different field. And, and I, I thought about it a lot. I was like, well, that's easy to do when things are quieter. Yeah, when it's but easy. What about, but what about laying it on top of the most intense places on earth, whether it's politics? I mean, think of our political game today, completely zero-sum game. Yeah. Completely everything is just mine or yours. And we are, and not only that, we kind of point it out and then... Attack, attack. Atta yeah. Like, we're going to... Where are you headed? We are essentially becoming the full measure of this transactional rotting world. If that's how we're going to, that's how we're going to be. Right. It doesn't matter what. We're the biggest winner. We're great. You know, school of great. We're great today because I beat you and I won. And here, look at all. Look what I have. I'm great. In this world, way well, worth. You know, depends on how you describe it. Okay, that if that's great, uh, then great. But what's the legacy? Yes. What's the abundance? What's the long? Because if we're going to last a long time, by definition, we can't do this. Yes. What doesn't work? Can't like people say, "Oh, Steve, duh, what about?" <laughs> Trust me, you're on a path of ent entropy, right? Like we're going to rot. Yes. You're going to die. Yeah. Your marriage. You're in a marriage. 
And my wife and I, and like, we'll go 50-50. We're in it together. You're on your way to destruction. Because mm -hmm. 50-50 says that, well, if you do 49, I'm off the hook. Yeah. Got to be 100-100. Have to. Yeah. Spirit of abundance would demand mm -hmm. that it doesn't matter what you do. I'm in. And when your spouse feels that, I start to, I weep because I, that, that is an abundant relationship that can, that is not, like that's a perpetual, it's a perpetual, like think, like think about it, it's heaven, people are talking about heaven, like what, well if there's a heaven, it's a perpetual place, mm -hmm. it's a place of perpetuity, it's not a place of transaction, it can't be self-interested, it has to be a place where people live in a, in a state of others' interest first, seeing others. And that was great. I want to go back to the lessons that Bill taught you in a second, because you gave me one, I think. But you mentioned your wife, and, and I think you said that you got married later. And, I did. So I was you were 18, 19 years in, the, your, 18 years in your career. Right at the end, the last right season. Right at the end. Mm -hmm. Why did you wait? I'm curious. I didn't wait. I try, I, I was about, I, I wanted, I, I sought marriage. Like mm. I knew it was a good thing and yes. I wanted it in my life and I didn't find it. Mm. And you uh, now again, women that I dated through the years would probably hear the story about the anxiety and the hyper-focus and the, and the distraction. Like, oh, that, that makes some sense. Right, that's right? why we didn't work out. So, <laughs> but I would tell you that uh, mm. when I met Barb, I, I was, we we're going to, we, 10 years in the making, by the way, finally, we're going to do it. She didn't want to date an athlete. Mm -hmm. uh, and it was just hard getting, when, and so I was coming to pick her up and I left a message and heard her voicemail back in 1999. And I heard her voice and I, I said, oh, that sounds, there's a familiarity to it. Mm. I don't know how to describe it. Mm. So people say love at first sight, like love at first hear. First sound. First sound. Mm. And uh, and that's you know I went on the first date where she was in Scottsdale, Arizona. I was in a rental car, a town car, like a Lincoln Town car, and I never went home. Just stayed and dated her throughout the off season, and then we got engaged six months later. Wow, that's beautiful. So why? Like I tried. It was not an effort. Like getting married at thirty eight was not. That was suboptimal. Right, right. You right? wanted to earlier. Right. So you've been married how long now? 20, where we're 2000, so 22, 22 years. years. Yeah. 22 years. What's the greatest gift she's given you in 22 years? Uh, she is a reflexively loving person, especially to marginalized people. And her, she see, like, I dedicate this book to her because she started me this, like, super transactional guy that does, wants to be good, wants credit, but wants to do good in the world and wants to, wants to see the best in the, to us, we define this transactional world. We say, what's the best part of transaction? Well, if I do something good for you and then I get a little something, that's 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 win-win. That's not what I'm talking about. And so she had this reflexive love for, for people that were marginalized, not like me or her. And, and I could see that she saw them. Mm. When you put in quotes, I hate air quotes, but sure. you, to see somebody you can only see them in that way when you've lost yourself in it yeah and you just then you see the full measure of the person that's across from you right and that's just natural to her even if i desire heaven it's a transaction right it's like somehow it's and and we are talking about that 
And until you lose in a spirit of abundance in the relationships you have here, right now, there's a, a miraculous thing that happens in relationships when that happens. It's rare when you've actually lost. What happens? I, th I think it's... It's how God loves. Mm. God loves without trans. If a friend asks how you're doing and you say, I'm okay. When the truth is, I don't want my problems to burden anyone. Or you say, Hang it in there. Because if I ask for help, they'll just think I'm weak. Then this is your sign to call, text, or chat. 988 for free confidential support anytime. You don't have to hide how you feel. Here you are. BPMs high, sweat dripping, body moving, tongue panting. You're working hard, real hard, and you're thirsty. You need vitamins, nutrients for peak performance and energy. And your plants do too. Aw, let me just look at the little guy. Water-soluble plant food from miracle Grow is full of essential nutrients. Just a little scoop into your watering can and boom. Instant feeding and bigger, more beautiful plants. It's kind of like a sports drink for your plants. You may have to suffer from heat, but your plants do not. Action. Like, in other words, I seek your glory. I seek your learning and growing. Well, what do you get? I, I know. I get, I get it through your learning and growing. If I wanted something... There's the only way to get it is to lose yourself in this healing of other human beings. Mm, so I, for me, I started to practice, like, can I do that in business? Really? In negotiations? In big, huge contracts? Can I do that up and down the partnership? Can I do that? Uh, could I have done that better in the football field? How much was I doing at the time? What would I do differently? And it came to me that you can go and it and do all the things you want to do in the spirit of this, what we're describing. And, and what you do is you unlock the potential, full potential of the relationship, wow. of its healing, of its growth, of its abundance, of whatever it could possibly be. And then it just emanates. Mm -hmm. So that if you could get, theoretically, 30,000 people to just go do this and practice it and try to, like, you kind of think to yourself, be like, I could change the world. Sure. So that's, I don't know, I... I you can see I'm, I'm, I'm slightly energized about it just because it's this. an amazing uh, realization. This is everything that I, that you know, I've been doing this for 10 years at School of Greatness and I've had the pleasure of sitting across people like amazing. yourself yeah. who are at the top. Not of me the, amazing, yeah. but the amazing people you've <laughs> talked to before I showed up. But I mean, I, there's a common theme that a lot of people have been having over the last few years, which is similar to what you're saying. And they're mm. saying it in different sectors of therapists, scientists, doctors, world-class athletes, billionaires, which is about creating a space of healing and of opening, of connection, of intimacy. Yep. Yep. And one of the greatest things, which is service. And I heard recently one person said that there are three circles in life. The first circle is survival. The second circle is success. And the third circle, he said, was significance. And I was like, I really think it's more service. Mm -hmm. It's a third circle. Mm -hmm. And if we can really get into a place of service earlier in our lives, mm -hmm. while we're trying to survive and mm -hmm. be successful, I feel like we'll have a lot more healing, peace, abundance, and love with everyone around us as well. So people hear that, uh -huh. hear me and you talk like this, and will say, 
Oh, that sounds. That's <laughs> life is really hard. Yeah, yeah. But that, I'm sorry, but on the ground, yeah, that doesn't work. Mm -hmm. And I, what I would say is, I understand that because scientifically, it's been proven that you are right. We're in an entropic world. We are going to rot and decay, and we're like, you know, it is dog eat dog and eat what you kill. Like I, I get that as a foundation, but clearly, as a foundation, if we see it as an educative condition, in other words, we can't be abundant or grow or heal or any of the things that we've just talked about unless the conditions are such that we have a body, mm -hmm. we have agency to choose, and we have opposition to fight against. Mm. Like those are the, so in some ways people say, oh, there's great evil in the world. Well, it, it must be. Because we, we need, need it. it. It has to be, opposition has to be what happens, if we, what happens if we don't have that? You can't grow. Mm-hmm. It grows in, in agency, like in other words, you and I, you, you, whatever, you could be wrapped up as a mummy in a corner, chained, like, but still breathing alive. Yep. You still have a choice. Your next breath has a choice. You might not be free in your mind, I mean, as far as what I can go run and do, sure. but you still have a conscious thought of what my next conscious thought's going to be. What's my next act? What's my next? So there's agency mm -hmm. in the human condition, and there's opposition in the human condition recognizing it for what it is. So that then the person who says, oh, Steve, that's really sweet what you guys are talking about. That's a bunch of crap because I don't have, I don't have time for that. Totally understand. But, because I actually appreciate that you are in the mix recognizing the rigor, mm -hmm. but you're not seeing the miracle in the rigor. Right. Because in that, that's the ingredients for why you can even talk about this. Man, there's there's some there's something of when I think back of those two years of struggle after football was done, being injured on my sister's couch, no money. This was 2007, 2008, 2009 when the economy was crashing, so there weren't job opportunities at that time. As challenging as it was, I'm like, man, those were some great times too. Just because it allowed me to see what I was made of. What can I overcome? What can I discover and learn and grow into? And I want to take back that challenge, that you know, that suffering time or whatever you want to call it. it. It allowed me to overcome something to help me get one step closer to service and becoming something I'm proud of. You know, so I don't know if you had a moment like well, that. Well, that's the sweet. So there's the sweetness yes. in life. And I've had a thousand moments like that where now recognizing uh, just through years, not understanding this dynamic mm -hmm. and this truth. Uh, about humanity and about, you know, no matter religion, you're gonna, look, what we can agree on is science, this is entropic. Yeah. What, these are the conditions. And are these conditions that can actually elevate? And I say absolutely yes. They're the fundamental conditions. Agency, opposition, and a body. Three things that you have to have yes. to go enact this incredible gift that you've mm -hmm. been given of rigor and pain and heal and heal and that can we can we be aids in each other in the healing as we grow yeah because if you think about what god would want is i want your healing and growth it's going to be a bumpy ride mm -hmm. can you all help each other heal that then it becomes super yes. and it doesn't have to be religious it can just be it can be completely from an atheist perspective how do i want the human condition to rise the only way is if we leave this con the condition we're in. Yes. We have to go, we have to rise above it. Go beyond it, yeah. And if we're gonna, in any system, 
by definition. We have a political system. You can see it, like rotted. They got no hope. Education got, system. We're we're, yeah. You can just start to see them and say, which ones are working? And that's why you talk about the recent conversations you've had with folks. It's rattling around a lot of people's minds. It's like, wait a second, I'm super rich. I'm a billionaire. I dominate the world. I got planes all over the world. That's not me, by the way. But I'm right, right. planes. I can go anywhere. I can do anything I want. What's meaningful? Mm -hmm. What's meaningful? What is not for credit anymore? Mm. Well, what, what is there someone to heal? And the mm. truth is, for every human being, it's probably the person you're sitting right next to. Wow. Right? That's where to start. I was ta I talking to some uh, Christian missionaries recently who, you know, they were, they couldn't be out because of COVID. Right. And that's all I want to do is be out and do this work. I have this energy about it. And I said, well, do you have any humans you're having contact with? Because I'm stuck at home. Like, well, yeah, my mom and my yeah. brother-in-law. I'm like, be in service here. What? No. What healing can you bring? Mm. What abundance can you bring to that relationship? That's doesn't matter where you are. Yeah. That's where. And then people say, okay, so now you're lined up across the field, Reggie White. Where's the abundance? It doesn't mean you can't compete. I'll leave you another story. So Ronnie Lott. One of the great competitors alive. He's the only guy that cut off his finger. Remember, it got crushed, and he said, Crazy. I gotta play. I'm gonna cut Crazy. off the tip of his finger. He, uh, he, one year we were supposed to, you know, the Giants, New York Giants, needed us to win the last game of the year so they could get in the playoffs. <laughs> but we didn't need to win it because we'd already wrapped everything yeah. up, and so we were gonna play the backups and everything yeah. else. So we didn't, so we ended up losing the game because it wasn't that vital. And Phil Simpson said, Fortnite is laid down like dogs. Hmm. And Ronnie was just livid. So the next year we played the Giants in one of the big games. And and uh, warm ups at halftime at Candlestick. And you start at the 50, you go the opposite. So you're all standing right there. And Ronnie goes over and sees Phil Simms. You see him. And usually in that situation, you know this. Everyone got like, oh, you yeah, can't yeah, talk yeah, about yeah, it. Yeah. Everybody's like, oh, scrum. Yeah. Ronnie. <laughs> yeah. We're Ronnie, off. We're back off. And so he, and, I, and and I could hear some of them, and I go afterwards, like, Ronnie, what, what do you say? And he goes, he doesn't understand that competition is a team game, and that if you disrespect anyone in the competition, you've lost the ability for the competition to elevate. Mm. Because in the learning, I'm I'm going in. I might win or I might lose, but either way, I can grow. Wow. And I was like. Huh. This is on the field. Pre on the field, it's like, no, this is later when I talked okay, about what he said. He goes, yeah. he said, why were you so animated? Because he doesn't understand. And I was like, oh, funny, because I didn't understand either. <laughs> <laughs> but, but think what he was saying. The, the competition can be a place of elevation if it's properly yes, absolutely. nurtured. Absolutely. Because do you, you just described in that couple of years, in 2019, it's in the, like the what I lost. Mm -hmm is where I gained, where I gained yeah. the greatest gift. And so losing can be the place of abundance. But if you did, so if we become a winning losing society where the winners get everything and the loser is just some sad sack that doesn't, we've, we, we've lost the spirit of Ronnie Lott mm. to show. And I think, think about our culture. Our culture is really a winning culture. Yes. Great, I get it. But we need to do better at recognizing the competitiveness, the, the, the spirit of that space of competitiveness that we honor losers yes. for what can be gained. Because yes. if we don't honor them as they're 
you know, the Lakers play the Clippers and the Clippers lose, you're a loser. But if we don't honor the, the loser's ability to grow and gain, then we, we end up doing the We're same thing. We're the losers thing. then, yeah, well, yeah. We, well, we do the same thing. Yeah, yeah, of course. I feel like a loser then I got Right, right, yeah. right. So it's just, again, it could, it, it, yeah. you start to see it, it repeats this over and over again. I'm curious how, the, I mean, you've, you've transitioned to the successful business career um, that I don't think a lot of people know about the success you've had in, in, in business. What has been the biggest fear and insecurity that you've had in the last, I guess, 20 plus years now of, of building this, you know, being a part of this firm and building this yeah. massive private equity? So it's funny. Well, I told you when I, when, when you stop playing, no matter whether you played 18 years or one year or even leave college, there's this, the dream of those games that you mm -hmm. love that you wanted to, you know, you knew you can't play forever. It's the young man's game, mm -hmm. but even whenever it happens, there's a day before, and when I finished, I'd played 18 years, and you could say one of the better guys that played, and the day before, I was probably one of the better guys in the world that could play quarterback in the NFL. The next day I retired, I'm not great at anything. Right, you're a beginner again. Yeah. I'm not even good at anything. <laughs> How do I get started? And I think, like you, I dug in and tried to find that vulnerability to say what I'm good at, what, what, could I good, what, what can I get good at? How can, how do I do it? And how do I get started? And that's what I did. Luckily, I'd gone to law school while I was playing, which is an odd, amazing. It's a great young it's story where yeah. he told me, he kept peppering me. He said, like, you know, because his big thing when you're growing up is you have to have a dream and a plan. He said, they're both vital. Dream is 1% chance. Plan is 80% chance. Wow. And you need both. And I said, and I kept telling him, well, my dream is 1% chance I'm going to play in the NFL. And that's my plan, too. And he goes, that's not a plan. So, but then when I played in the NFL, I go, Dad, ha, I made the dream it. became the plan. And he kept saying, no, it's not, son, because you only can play three years average. Then I played five years. And he goes, but, you know, when, let's say you finish at 30 years old, you got the other half of your life. What are you going to do? So he kept playing. Plan. So I ended up going to law school. It's incredible. Try to appease this it's crazy incredible. man. So anyway, that law school gave me the opportunity post-playing when I had to figure out what I was even good at or could be good at. But the funny thing is, because I didn't do it traditionally, and those in private equity usually leave school, go to associate business as an school, analyst yeah. for a couple of years, then go back to business school and then get a job, and then earn banking, you know, and all around the world, they have certain skills that are gained through that. Mm -hmm. Now, I want to cut the line, essentially. Yes. And I don't think I ever lost the insecurity of doing that. Mm. Now, despite people say, well, no, Steve, you have, you know, blah, blah, blah. In the end, I think the thing that I, that was super hard, was always, you talk about insecurities, it was like facing the insecurity of I'm not uh, a legitimate hmm. business guy. Because yeah. right. you're now so, you're 40 essentially right. when everyone's been doing it since they're 24 or whatever, mm -hmm. yeah. Right, and so I think that holding on to that vulnerability was probably a good thing mm. because what you don't want to do is go rolling into a, an off, a room and thinking that you're more than you are. Mm -hmm. I do, I am a fan of fake it till you make it. Yeah. I think there's a piece of life that's important when you're getting mm -hmm. started. Uh -huh. But I think that fake it means not fake other people, but fake it yourself. Like yeah. fake yourself out because you have the insecurities, you got the doubt, you got the fear. Like just act like you really know what you're doing. It's part of the game. Part this of the was game. part of, you know, I heard this early on. I can't remember who said this, but I didn't come up with it. Someone said, face it till you make it. And so I started facing my fears that's and saying, a, what can I do every day just by showing up? I like that over, better. Yeah, it's like, that's I, more I positive. I'm, 
I'm vulnerable. I don't have the skills, but I'm going to keep facing it. I love that until I gain. I mean, the I'm, skills. I'm not going to say fake it till you make it anymore because I don't like. I never liked it, but it gave the right image. Yes. Face it till you make it as like. Yeah. Look at you. Give him back. <laughs> well, I've learned a lot here, but it's not. It's not from me. But someone else said, "Face it till you make it, and then you embrace it," or something like that too. So I it's like, like it. it's that you know, really resonates with yeah, me. Yeah. Because uh, I tell people to fake it till you make it, but I don't. I never liked it. Face I never it, liked you. it. Face it. You know, you went all in and showed up every day. You were faking it by acting upon it. You yeah. were practicing it every day by showing up, which yeah. I think is really cool. What is your biggest fear now? After again, Hall of Fame career, Super Bowls, you know, um, billions of dollars in assets that you guys manage. And I think TV and you know fear, all these things. Uh, fear. I think it's. I mean, inevitably, one of the best things that heaven's given to learn some of these things we've been talking about to elevate is mm -hmm. kids mm. because you you have a little baby and they're completely helpless and without you doing selfless acts of service because the baby's not going to give you any like Nothing. oh thanks for that <laughs> in fact i found out that kids generally not until they have kids do they really ever appreciate you really understand right. it's not anyone's fault it's just Human circles nature, life, yeah yeah you know? simba so uh so I think that that's, if you're talking about fears and anxieties, naturally when you are so invested in the success or glory or growth or maturity of uh, abundance mm -hmm. of this human that your wife and I, your wife and my wife and I created, you end up in a place of anxiety or fear because you want to make sure it happens. And if you really want to do it right, you, you can't guarantee that, nor should you guarantee it. In fact, you should be very careful where you insert yourself. Mm -hmm. And the thing that I've found is the fear is that I haven't modeled what I hope they would see. You don't feel like you have? I, that's the fear. Oh, right. I hope I have. Right, right, because right. in the modeling uh -huh. is where the power is. Right. It isn't in the... The saying. Or... You know, or Making sure that you've mm -hmm. created a lane that you know made it made it available or you know, God given an opportunity. It's have you modeled yes. the very thing that you hope for them, mm -hmm. and have you done it in a way that is they've taken in over a lifetime, so it's a part of them. Mm -hmm. And so maybe the fear of that is how you get there. Yeah. Uh, but that's the. Uh, and what's the biggest lesson then being a dad has taught you? Ah. Uh, don't raise yourself. Uh, you know, if, if my son mm. had been a quarterback and uh, a three-sport uh, athlete and, and uh, uh, had some anxiety, you know, like I could, I, I, I can parent that because I know that. And what came with Braden is someone who's very different. It's a lot of similarities, but a lot of differences that were fundamental that I had to really grow to be a productive parent. I had to figure out new ways to parent someone that wasn't just like me. Yes. And I found that my initial reaction is to try to make him like me so that I could parent me through him. Right. Because that's what I knew. And the biggest lesson is if you're going to be a great parent, you need to become an athlete, spiritual, emotional mm -hmm. athlete. Mm -hmm. And challenge your insecurities and challenge your fears and all the things you just showed yeah, me how to yeah, yeah. do. Because that parenting is really 
bespoke to that human being. And uh, that's a lesson. Mm. And I f- failed at some places early on trying to figure that out and recognizing Sweet Braden was patient with me. <laughs> Um, right. you know, to kind of work that's, my way through That's it. beautiful. I've got three final questions. I want to be mindful of the time here. I could talk to you for hours, Steve. Oh, I love this. You know stories, I can, man. This is uh, fun, man. I, have we, has it been 10 minutes? I, I know, I know. This is great. Uh, three final questions. Before I ask you these questions, I want people to get the book, the, the Law of Love. I think it's really cool that you are this elite, you know, athlete from sports to business to life, relationships, and we're here talking about love and abundance and peace and harmony and healing. <laughs> and you're diving into what I'm hearing you, what's sounding like is this is the stuff that really matters the most. Above all the success, it's like the way to get those things also is through the law of love. So I appreciate that. And I, I can tell you that the book is written to an LDS audience, mm-hmm. a religious LDS audience, because that's... All politics are local, right? So that's mm-hmm. my yes. house, my, yes. my, my, and, and we are a can-do people. Oh, yes. And that's a transactional people. Mm-hmm. And this is not that. Right. And so it's really a, myself, this is my way forward. Yeah. This is where I think if I was going to love like God and, and find the abundance despite the wonderful ingredients we have to grow, this is how I would yeah. do it. And yes. so... I want to just tell people if you're in, this is a, the language in here is not necessarily, but, but the lessons are lessons truly, are I believe, in every religion, and yes. regard, regardless of religion, in the human endeavor of the spirit of abundance and the law of love is absolutely the way forward because by definition, it's perpetuity. Yes. And do we as, a, as, a, as humans want to pay it forward, bring abundance into the future, of course we do. Right. Do we want to drag back and hold back and zero-sum game and, and diminishing returns? Of course not. If a friend asks how you're doing and you say, I'm okay. When the truth is, I don't want my problems to burden anyone. Or you say, Hang it in there. Because if I ask for help, they'll just think I'm weak. Then this is your sign to call, text, or chat. 988 for free confidential support anytime you don't have to hide how you feel on this episode of plant killers we'll explore one nation's most notorious fruit and vegetable killer bad dirt what makes bad dirt so bad the answer the ingredients but fear not true crime enthusiasts this story has a happy ending new miracle grow organic raised bed and garden soil it's made with quality organic ingredients from upcycled green waste like compost and aged bark unlike the other guys who can't say the same looks like bad dirt's murdering days are over thanks to miracle grow join us next time on plant killers but me all of us behave unfortunately in a way of diminishing returns. Yes. And that's, right. you get what you get, right? So I, I just want to caveat that because I want to nah, make sure that people are like, what, what the heck, Young? We have a, you get, I want this book and it's all this other stuff, so. We, we, we have a very open-minded, uh, I call them conscious achievers. They're constantly open to learning new things, even if it's not where they came from, this community, whether it be on YouTube or audio or other right. place. So right. 
I think people are really gonna like this. I, I've had a great time going through it. I haven't finished it, but I went through a lot of it and the stories are really powerful and inspiring. It doesn't matter what, what religion or background then you're from. It's human. It's very human inspiring. Experience. So I want people to get the law of love. Make sure you guys get a few copies for friends <laughs> as well. Where can we get it? Is there a site we can get it from? on Amazon. Just yeah. Amazon's yeah. the main place. Yeah. Um, you've got an amazing foundation. And I'm not selling. I didn't do the, I wrote this book for my family mm -hmm. and someone convinced me to publish it. So I just want you to know that I am not here trying to sell this book. I'm here to do it for you. But I'm not. I, uh, I yeah. really am. I just like, if it, if you have a, if there's a gravitational pull to it, yes. great. Yeah. You know what I mean? But I, please don't get the, I No, I'm excited about it though. I, I think it's it. beautiful. And uh, you do, you know, I want to acknowledge you, Steve, before I ask the final two questions for, there's a lot of athletes who make it that don't live a life of service afterwards. They make it and they make it about them. And the fact that for the last you know, 20 plus years, you continue to make it about others through your foundation, through your charitable efforts, you're constantly involved in children's uh, charity efforts. Thank you. Through Kelly, you know, is always talking about sure. how you serve every year. You just give <laughs> without even needing the credit. You're just like, how can I serve through your own foundation? There's a lot of stuff behind the scenes that people don't see that you do that makes a massive difference to individuals and to communities. And I really want to acknowledge you for you consistently showing up, you consistently healing, growing, and living a life of abundance through your efforts and your energy. You know, you show up on TV every week and inspire people that way through adding in lessons when you yeah, can. Yeah. Obviously, there's analysis, but then you throw in these great lessons that I think are, <laughs> you know, you throw in the, uh, the peas and carrots in the sugar, right? <laughs> you do it through this book. You don't have to write this book. Yeah. You don't have to spend the time to do this. You do it through... Uh, the charities you do, and I just really acknowledge you for the continual gift that you are and that you bring to the world. Well, and I, again, so vital that it's like I'm learning. Yeah. Like th this book helped me. Sure. Like I didn't. I'm. You said, "Oh, I've loved Steve Young's the expert." No, 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 no. Steve yeah. Young is along with you mm -hmm. on this. What I believe is heaven's gift. Like mm -hmm. it's like I'm along. I'm a. I'm a passenger. Along sure, with sure, you. Sure, sure. And if I have a couple of tips for you, great. If I don't, but I'm, so by no means do I have, then my foibles, if someone wanted to list all my foibles sure, through sure, the years, you could usually do it. So I just want to make sure that uh, Gandhi is gone, like for a reason, right? The rest of us, we're, we're in the mix. <laughs> you're a human being. I get right? it. We all got, we all got challenges. <laughs> but I appreciate what you're saying. I, that's very kind of But you. you keep showing up and that's a beautiful thing. And you don't have to. You know, you've made money. You don't have to keep showing up for others. So that's a beautiful thing. That you're living a life of significance. Yes, you want to build your business and things like that. But you're living a life of Well, again, you can, you, can, you can fully engage in this transactional world. Uh -huh. But come from it in a spirit of abundance. I love that. Describe it. Uh, two final questions, and then we got to get you back. Um, this is called the three truths question. I ask everyone of this at the end of the interviews. All right. So it's a hypothetical question. Imagine it's your last day on this earth many years away. You live as long as you want to live. Yeah. You accomplish and give all you want to do in life. Uh, but for whatever reason, you've got to take all of your work with you, and it's your last day, and you got you got to turn the lights off in uh -huh. this world. And hypothetical, no one has access to your commentary, your videos, your right. audios, this book. No one has access to any of your information. But you get to leave behind three lessons to the world. Three things you know to be true. Yeah. And this is all the information we would have about you, Steve mm. Young. Wow. What would be those three truths for you? Well, uh, 
for me, okay, so, all right, how do I say this in a really useful way? Um, I believe fundamentally in a durable spirit mm -hmm. that's inside of every human. Mm. That durable spirit is actually not, it's, it's of a place of, of abundance and perpetuity, but it's here to grow and our, that's what we're that's what we're doing. Mm -hmm. So, if that's so for me, the truth is. First truth is, I guess that 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 this whole ex human experience is to learn and grow. And and we're in a perfect place to do it. Mm -hmm. This is the perfect conditions to do it. So that's, I guess, one. Mm, that's beautiful. That's one. If you asked me ten years ago, it'd be different, right? Of course. If you asked yeah, me today, yeah. different season of life. Today, um, the other, another truth is kind of yeah. to to be able to create growth in other mm -hmm. human beings. Like we mm -hmm. actually help. We we are the we are the we're the fuel. Yeah. You know, I think that I don't think anyone feels that God can do that by him or herself. Like mm -hmm. they can't just say, right? I may because that would not be. That's compulsion. You can't yes. compel people to be to grow and to learn. It has to be free. It has to be freely mm -hmm. done. And that's why we as we're here at the human condition, we're free. So that in that freedom, I can actually do something miraculous for Which, you. Yes. So that's another truth for that's me. That's beautiful. Is there's, jeez, uh, you are tough. We're, we're the fuel uh, to help others grow. I like that. Uh, <laughs> and the third, the third one is... Uh, You've asked transactional questions. Mm -hmm. You're going to get transactional answers from heaven or anywhere else. And there's abundantly clear that it is a place of no compulsion here. And so even from heaven, you ask transactional questions, you're going to get transactional answers. Mm -hmm. If you ask, ask selfless, non-transactional questions, you get completely different answers from others and human. And that is a place mm. that I... You know, like I think about the most important things in my life, my marriage, and how much I want abundance in my family, you know, and all politics are local, right? It's all mm -hmm. right here. And in the most, and there's always challenges. Human, it's, we're, in the, we're in the mix, right? There's always, heaven's revelation for me has come tenfold when I ask the, not when I leave the transactional and I, ask these more mm. abundant questions from this place of long-suffering, gentle persuasion, mm -hmm. love. What's the most important question you ask? Of myself? Mm -hmm. am, I, am I exuding those qualities? Mm -hmm. It's not something to do. It's something to be. Ooh. Mm. And for someone who loves to do... Give me act. a list. Yeah, yeah, let's do this. Give me a list. <laughs> I will get it done. Take action. It's yeah. happening. Yes. But now I'm asking you to be, mm. not do. And in the being is, that's what I say. I lay, I, 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 I come into a relationship and, I, and I, I lay on those attributes of myself. If I was going to be those things, what, ha what, what words would I say? Yeah. What actions would I take? What would define how I approach the problem? 
Like, do I have a solution for the problem? I do not. But I have a solution for how I'm going to bring myself into it yeah. from these qualities of long-suffering, mm. gentle persuasion, and love. Mm -hmm. if, I act, if I use those words and act that way and try to, and I, that's when there's a door unlocked. There's a, there's a, something, I don't want to say magical, it's not the right word, but miraculous. Yes. Happens when those, that, that, that's like somehow the, 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 the magic well, happens. Yeah, it's like it happens. It does happen. And yeah. uh, and I've seen oh. that. I've seen that in the most intimate relationships I have. That's amazing. Sorry about that. But I love this, man. I love this. Final question for you: What's your definition of greatness? Uh my definition of greatness, and I go back to Bill Walsh and how he and Barb, my wife, and how people who have guided my dad, my mom, like uh, started me on a on a journey, right? Yeah. And greatness. The other day, I was on one hundred and one driving. There was a wreck mm -hmm. ahead of me, mm -hmm. back up. It had just happened. You can see there was still the smoke in the air, right? And it looked like it wasn't a great, it was like, could be bad. Right. A highway patrolman had just shown up on the, on the shoulder and got, gets out. And so I'm one of the early cars, right? And so I'm, I'm watching this happen. He gets out. Cars are still going by kind of more quickly than they should. And, like, and I see him get out and start running around and like dodging in out of the cars. I'm like, what's he doing? There's a dog mm. that has gotten out from one of the cars because the, 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 the second patrolman's checking the people and he's trying to save the dog because wow. he, he sees that the people are cared for, they're okay. Right. Now they're driving fast. I want to go get the yeah. dog. Wow. Who does that? Mm. Who shows up in dangerous situations and jumps into danger to save, save a human being, hey, they would save anybody. And I just, you ask me what greatness is. Mm. You might say greatness is having the most money or the most stuff or the most things, and that's fine. But I just saw, I just saw greatness. Yeah. And so for me today, when I see selfless acts of service, selfless, like literally no credit, I'm not looking for anything. He was not looking for anything other than to try to save this life of this dog. And I just thought to myself, I, I kind of little shed a little tear and said, mm, that's beautiful. Thankful for those humans that naturally are that way because I'm, I'm trying to learn. Mm. I'm trying to learn that greatness. Mm. So, Steve, thank you so much, man. Appreciate right. it. Powerful. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and it inspired you on your journey towards greatness. Make sure to check out the show notes in the description for a full rundown of today's episode with all the important links. And if you want weekly exclusive bonus episodes with me personally, as well as ad-free listening, then make sure to subscribe to our Greatness Plus channel exclusively on Apple Podcasts. Share this with a friend on social media and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts as well. Let me know what you enjoyed about this episode episode in that review. I really love hearing feedback from you and it helps us figure out how we can support and serve you moving forward. And I want to remind you if no one has told you lately that you are loved, you are worthy, and you matter. And now it's time to go out there and do something great. If a friend asks how you're doing and you say, I'm okay. When the truth is, I don't want my problems to burden anyone. Or you say, hang it in there. Because if I ask for help, they'll just think I'm weak. 
then this is your sign to call, text, or chat. 988 for free, confidential support. Anytime. You don't have to hide how you feel. They say plants like music. Yeah, no, like really, they, they respond to the vibrations of it, which means that this playlist you're listening to, the plants are too. You know what else plants like? Organic soil from miracle Grow. It's made with all the best stuff like wood fiber and compost. Plus, it's Omri certified organic, which officially means it's made with superior ingredients. And when you give your plants the stuff that makes them happy, they won't judge you on your iffy playlist. Hear that, plants? So go ahead and give them miracle Grow.